So let's get into God's Word today. Last week's message, I began with explaining inductive Bible study and explaining how here at Refuge Fellowship Calvary Chapel we teach the Bible verse by verse. I'd even shared how I prepare the messages, how I read through the passages and the different translations, how I pray over the passages. And as I begin to study, I look at the context of what I'm studying. I also look at the correlation of other verses that apply to the passages I'm teaching on. But I want to also mention something else. You know, God's Word, to me, is kind of like an apple. Kind of a strange, maybe, a analogy. We know an apple is very good for us, right? It will supply you with the vitamins and the nutrients that we need to be healthy. But how do you eat an apple? We eat it bite by bite, don't we? We're also studying our Bibles in a similar way. Verse by verse, allowing the Word of God to nourish us spiritually, to feed us verse by verse, bite by bite. Now today we're going to continue to go through God's Word by observing the text, then interpreting the text, and then applying these passages as we're going to be studying in Luke chapter 12. Now, each week, as many of you know, I start the message typically with going through a review, reviewing last week's message to remind us maybe of a little context to what I'll be teaching on this week, but also it's to challenge me and you about the lesson from last week, to wonder if we have applied that lesson or that application that we got out of last week's message to this week. Last week, we had looked in Luke chapter 11. Jesus had shared quite a lot. It was quite a message. He began last week's message, as I was sharing on it, with rebuking those people who had asked for an additional sign. And he told them that someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Then Jesus used an example or an analogy that no one lights a lamp than to cover up its light. There's some great application in that story that we drew out. And I shared to each of us that we need to be living in the light. And this allows us to be in relationship with God, but also with others. You know, this week, someone came up to me, and they shared to me a little bit of their own testimony that was going on in their life. They had been struggling with something. And they felt led after the message that, what they were struggling with needed to be brought out and brought out, out of the darkness into the light. It was, it was very encouraging me to hear. This honestly allows us, the church, as brothers and sisters now, to know how to pray for that person, doesn't it? It also allows us now to walk alongside that person and lift them up. Before, I had no idea. So I shared also last week that even us, as followers of Jesus, can fall sometimes. We stumble. And when this does happen, we don't have to be ashamed. God is there to lift us up. But God will also very often use the church to work in the light, through the light, to help restore us to these right relationships in our lives. So at this end of this story in Luke chapter 11, verse 36, Jesus said, If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole light will be radiant, as though a floodlight... We're filling you with light. 
So looking at that, would that describe you this week? Were you a floodlight for Jesus? Did people see you and like, that, that man radiates the love of Jesus. Was this how you would be described this week? Radiating through every single area of your life the love of Christ. I'll be very honest. It's been a difficult week for me. I don't know how everyone else is doing. I've seen God work in just miraculous ways. We had the team here, the Love God Greatly team here from Myanmar. I just watched so many amazing things, so many amazing testimonies. And yet, I've experienced frustration, it seems to be, in everything that I've touched this week. So, Jesus' love and light was not being radiated when I'm experiencing frustration. Satan's been working me over. That's the kind of way I see it sometimes. And, you know, I kept just taking the shots, kind of allowing myself to be punched. You know, it's interesting. It's the simple things for me most often. You noticed my hair? What do you think? Odd question. You see my hair? It's long. Those of you that know me, it's probably a bit longer than it normally is, isn't it? Maybe you're thinking, maybe some of you just didn't notice my hair. Maybe some of you thought, well, maybe he's growing it out. Nope. Maybe, maybe some of you think I should grow it out. I mean, after all, you know, I'm 45 and I still have all my hair. Sorry, did I look over at anyone? I'm not growing it out. Actually, I've tried to get a haircut seven times this week. You ever have a week like that? Each time I went to get a haircut, they were closed, on break, or just didn't have time. So I'd, it was like a picture of my week, right? Every traffic light was red. So my joy this week has been replaced with frustration. And I've allowed this type of spiritual warfare to take place. Because I don't have to live that way. But I've allowed that to take place. So as I was working on this message, I had to just stop and pray. Pray in the name of Jesus, rebuking Satan. And refuse to allow Satan to take my joy. And just turn from that and let Jesus radiate as a floodlight in my life. So I wrote this. And I was, I was doing good. I was like, I rebuke you, Satan. No more. And then I went to print the sermon today. Like seven times that printer ate the thing. It would not print. And I had to have Vicky pray over me. Because I was like, I got to get to church. I'm running late. So I'm getting frustrated because I'm late to church. I can't get my sermon printed. The printer's not working. Then the Wi-Fi broke. And uh, yeah. So why I'm sharing all of this is because, you know, we're, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we don't have to live that way, too. I know that. I can rebuke that in the name of Jesus, and I can stop letting Satan take my joy, because that's what he wants to do. He wants to take my joy. He wants to break my relationships. So to go back to our review, in verses, chapter 11, 37 through 54, Jesus had spoken to these religious leaders. Remember, he said, what sorrow awaits you. He told these guys like five or six times as he sat as an invited guest at their table. And then he continued. He called them fools. He also said he was holding them accountable for the murder of God's prophets. This is quite the conversation Jesus had at this dinner party, wasn't it? This was a a warning for us to turn from our sins, to turn to Jesus. Otherwise, there's sorrow that would await. Because those who refuse to hear the word, the word of God, and put it into practice, sorrow well await. So this is last week. If we get into today's text in Luke chapter 12, this is one of the reasons I believe so firmly in teaching through the Bible verse by verse. Because the stories 
from last week, this week, and next week, and the week, they all tie together. It's actually kind of one story. And it helps when you have context and know what's going on. In fact, today's passage in the first verse starts with the word meanwhile. So meanwhile, we know. We, I just went through a little review, but we talked through the whole passages last week. So we know what has led up to the passages we're going to study this week. So let's read. Got your Bibles. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. So this dinner party has ended from last week, and thousands of people now have gathered. I imagine the disciples seeing this take place, seeing this huge crowds gather. What do you think was on their minds? What were they thinking? Maybe believing now that the time had come. The time that Jesus would take his place as their leader. Gathering the troops, leading these Jewish people, leading them to freedom from this oppression they were facing with the Romans. I mean, that's what I would have thought as you see these thousands of people gather and Jesus is coming out. I can see these disciples now looking at all this take place and looking towards to Jesus and waiting to see what is he going to do? What's he going to say? Thousands of people have gathered. But that's not what happened in the verse, was it? Jesus didn't rally the people up to go fight. Jesus, after living, leaving this dinner party, now has issued a rebuke, not really a rebuke, but a warning to his disciples and to every one of us. He's directly speaking to the disciples. I'm sure many people could overhear But he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. So Jesus now, coming out of rebuking these leaders during this dinner, has now turned to the disciples, looking at them and warned them. Because this sin spreads. It grows the more it's fed. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So as we look at this warning that Jesus has given us, What exactly is it? What is this sin that Jesus is warning us about, this hypocrisy? What does it mean? I was looking it up, and I was studying, and I want to share with you what I learned directly from my study Bible. It says, the first one, hypocrisy is knowing the truth, but not obeying it. People can say they follow Jesus, but not be obedient to his word. Hypocrisy is living a self-serving life. People may desire leadership only because they love position and control, not because they want to serve others. Hypocrisy reduces faith to rigid rules. People can end up worshiping their own rules and regulation about what they think God wants instead of worshiping God himself. Hypocrisy is an outward conformity without inner reality. People can obey the details but still be disobedient in general behavior. For example, a person may carefully tithe his income, 
but he is rude and obnoxious to his co-workers or those around him. So this is what Jesus saw in these Jewish leaders. And he warns us, each of us, not to fall to this hypocrisy and fall into this sinful lifestyle. Now this wasn't the message I'm sure these disciples were looking to hear from Jesus as thousands are gathering. So let's see. Back in Luke, chapter 12, let's look at 2 and 3. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Jesus is clearly explaining that there will be a time when all things done will be known, when all things will be brought to the light for all to see. All sin will be exposed, even shouted out so that everyone could hear. Doesn't that sound great? No? I'm not excited. I mean, think about that. All your sins to be shouted out for everyone to know? What purpose? I was like, I'm reading this, and we know this, but what purpose would this serve to have all the sins brought out into the open? I thought about it. I was praying about it. I'm like, there's a little more to the verse. We're going to get into it in a minute. But I thought about this. To have all their motives, all their things they were doing, all the sins, to have everything exposed, specifically in this case, but also later. What is this? What is this? Why? I mean, could you imagine that? And then I think, I really believe, as I was praying about it, I thought about, and the Holy Spirit really spoke, that through this, think about this, through this, you will see and know how big are God's mercy, grace, and the redemption that's given to each one of us through faith in Jesus. Think about that. Look at Psalm 103, 12. Psalm 103, 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. We had read that verse during worship. Because we shouldn't be condemning each other or ourselves, but we should be praising God for what he has done how he has washed us clean. I mean, it's amazing to think about, to see the complete depravity of man, yet through faith in Jesus, to worship God, because to see that redemption, to have that all in the open, and just to worship God for that redemption. Because we know we are no longer that person, because we are born anew in Christ. And this new birth, as we saw today with Katrina, it happened the exact time that we place our faith in Jesus Christ. When we call upon him as Lord, when we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus, we are a new creation. So Jesus now, through this, we, this verse also, it's showing us and telling us that now that Jesus, the truth of Jesus also is now being revealed to the world through the word, through his word, and through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus in this verse also is warning us and his disciples, but warning us, to beware hypocrisy. So let's continue to look at verses 4 and 5. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you to whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Boy, Jesus has been bold lately, hasn't he? So the question comes up as soon as I read this. Do you fear God? Or man? What does it mean to fear God? How do you define that? What's it mean to fear God? Now, 
What would typically lead a person to live a life of sin in hypocrisy? Hypocrisy. I get the word wrong every time. A person who fears man more than God is going to live that lifestyle, aren't they? These lessons, I believe, are connected. Jesus is continuing to preach very boldly here. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. So this brings me back to that first question I just asked. What does it look like to fear God? Now, for me, to fear God comes down to first knowing who God is. Do we understand who God is? The creator of all things. Yet also, and knowing he has that power, but also knowing and fearing God that he has adopted us as his children. And that we call upon him as father. So if we're going to talk about fear of God, I think we need to look at who he is, but also who we are in this relationship. I see it as a relationship. And as I fear God, I also know he loves me. And I also know that I love him. I always want to please him because of what he's done for me. Never forgetting, never forgetting who God is. But also knowing who I am through faith in Jesus as his child. So I think as we fear God, we've got to look at both aspects of it. He's God of all creation, outside of time, creators of all things known. He is God that has the power over life and death. The one, but he's also the one who loves us. The one that calls us to call upon him as father. The one who has given his son for us. Now, as we look at the other side of this, I don't think I really need to expound too much or give too many examples how each of us would fear man or our actions that would be relating to fearing man. I lived half my life worried about what others would think or what others would do to me. Today, I'm not concerned. I don't know about you. I'm not afraid of what man can do to me. It's because I know I am a child of God and I know who the God is that I serve. Now, I I tell you, though, we will face many difficulties in the world at the hands of man. We see this every day. But I have peace. I hope you each have peace knowing the promise of eternal life that we do have in Jesus in heaven. You know, as I was thinking how to explain this, one way I see it is there's a simple fact in life. What's a simple fact? We're all going to die. One day, each of us, every person here is physically going to die. One way or another, no matter how it works out or how we get there, every one of us is going to face physical death one day. Whether it's at the hands of another man, or if it's at old age, or if it's sickness, or it could be hit by a bus on the way out of here. I don't know, but the fact is, each and every one of us is going to face physical death one day. Now, as we think about that, the question is, after that, where will we spend our eternity? Because through fearing God, as we're talking about fearing God... If we fear God, we fear sin, and we know that we are sinners, and there's consequences for our sin, then we place our faith in Jesus as our Savior. And through this, then we have peace with God, and that then will result in having eternal life in heaven. So Jesus wants us to know. He wants us to know who we are in him, so we no longer need to fear man or any of the things of this world. Let's look at verses 6 through 12. What is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. 
This is something that I hear talked about a lot. Your value or your worth. Does question has came up. Does God even care about me personally? Has came up. Maybe some of you have wondered about your value, your worth. As we think about this question, I think also this comes back to fear. Because I think fear is at the core of this question of worth and at this lesson. Because again, if we start to understand who we are to God, how valuable we are, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be full of fear. We don't need to fear man. And I was reading these verses, and I googled it. Top secret information. I googled it, and I found out that each of us have between 100,000 to 140,000 strands of hair on our heads. Some maybe a little less around there looking around. But this passage said, God cares so intimately about us that he knows the exact numbers of hairs on our head. I was thinking about this and how amazing this is that God cares to know this about us. But it's ongoing, isn't it? It's not like I know exactly this number and then it's done. It's an ongoing count. I have three daughters, and they're always leaving their hairbrushes around my house. Maybe some of you had daughters or wives. They're always leaving them, even sometimes on the dining room table. That drives me crazy. I see a big old hairy hairbrush sitting on the dining room table. And we know what a girl's hairbrush looks like. It's full of hair, isn't it? I googled it again, and I found out that the average person loses up to 100 pieces of hair each day. I think that's probably about accurate because I've seen them hairbrushes. I've also seen the drain in my showers. So in my household, that's like 400 pieces of hair lost in my family each day. That's throughout the world. Kind of weird, huh? Think about. That's Google. That's what Google says. But think about this. God knows at each moment in our lives the exact number of the hairs on your head. Think about that. The exact number of hairs on your head. This is the truth of how much God cares and values us in every single detail of our lives, knowing even when we lose a single piece of hair. Because he knows the exact number of hairs on your head. So rid yourself. Repent of any doubt you may have of your value or your worth to God. He cares. Knowing that the number of the hairs on your head to all the way to having his own son, Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross for your sins. He did this knowing our every thought and who we are. We talked about the sins being known, right, and exposed. He did this knowing you and every thought and every sin you've ever done. It's amazing when I think about it. It's a testimony of God's love. And it leads to the lesson in this part of the scripture. Beware of not fearing God, but fearing man. Because we see who God is. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That sounds pretty serious. Will not be forgiven. So what does this look like? Jesus just said we must openly confess or be denied. Now, I see details are given as we look at these passages that Jesus defines what it was to fear God and also that we are to place our faith in Jesus. But if we have now professed ourselves as a Christian, we will then acknowledge Jesus publicly. 
here on earth. Otherwise, what? If we will not acknowledge Jesus publicly, what's that mean? That means we fear man more than God. So what it means then is if Jesus is truly your Lord, you will call on him publicly. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardships, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. So though God remains faithful at all times, there's also a warning there. Also, as I studied my study Bible, it gives some, some examples of what it would be to deny Jesus. And I want to share them with you. The first one, it says, if we deny Jesus when we, number one, hope that no one will find out we're a Christian. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. Number two, decide not to speak up for what is right. Number three, are silent about our relationship with God. Here's number four, blend into society. Just blend in and accept our culture's non-Christian values. So the contrast to this, when we acknowledge Jesus, we will live moral, upright, and Christ-honoring lives. Second one, we will look for opportunities to share our faith with others. Three, we will be out there helping others in need. Four, we will take a stand for justice. Five, we will love others. Six, we will acknowledge our loyalty to Christ Seven, use our lives and resources to carry out his desires rather than our own. As I read this list of examples of how we would deny Christ, but also the other side of that of ways we would acknowledge Christ and that we are Christians, of course I had to examine my own life. I had to go down that list and wonder, is every part of my life acknowledging Jesus in these ways, and many more I'm sure we could come up with. You know, it's a work in progress for sure. There, not every part of my life acknowledges Jesus. But I'll tell you, I'm aware of that. And I'm praying for that each and every day that the Holy Spirit would do a work in me. And every part of my life would glorify God. Every part of my life would point others to Jesus. And every part of my life would draw people to Jesus not away from Jesus. Because you know what? There's even parts in my life that could draw. When I'm all frustrated, they ain't drawing no one to Jesus. That's like, no. So Jesus has a lot more to say. Let's go back to Luke chapter 12. Let's look at verse 10. I don't know if I read that or not. We'll read it again. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will be forgiven. Now, I don't know if you've met people like this, but I've, I've met people like this that believe that their sins are too great to be forgiven. Maybe sometimes we even feel that way, that their sin is just too great. I'll tell you the truth. Jesus has forgiven all sins. Amen? For even those, this verse, even those in this verse that says have spoken against him, the only way a person is not forgiven of their sins is if they choose to reject the message of who Jesus Christ is and who we are and what Jesus has done for us to reject the message, to reject who Jesus is, not to place your faith in Jesus. Knowing that the message, the message of who Jesus is, our redemption, is came to us through his word, through the Holy Spirit, and then to reject that is the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. 
is to say that Jesus is not God and he isn't who he says he is. Then, and only then, could this be the result that you could not be forgiven because you refuse the truth of Jesus Christ through the message of the Holy Spirit and his word. So this is the lesson. Again, we have so many lessons. Beware of not believing the message from the Holy Spirit that we are indeed sinners. We are in the need of a Savior, and that salvation alone is through Jesus Christ and placing our faith in Him. So again, I want to be clear. The only unforgivable sin, and it's kind of weird how it's even called sin, but it is a sin, is denying the forgiveness that's offered through you through Christ Jesus. Otherwise than that, all sins are forgiven. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus, and you are forgiven. You can't out-sin God's grace. Amen? This should bring hope to you, shouldn't it? Should bring hope to the world, knowing that every sin is forgiven, again, except the denying of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done and who we are. Let's continue, verses 11 through 12. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues before the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. As I read this verse, I was thinking maybe, I don't know, I wonder if there wasn't even two reasons that Jesus is giving us this assurance here that the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what needs to be said. I see two possibilities, maybe. First reason, as Jesus was teaching, I wonder if there wasn't someone thinking in their own minds, what will I do if I believe in this Jesus, but then I have to go before the authorities because there might be consequences to following this guy. So maybe there was someone in the crowd. You know, that's a real possibility today, isn't it? We see that today, that it can be very, very serious for someone to profess to be a Christian, to place their faith in Jesus, especially in this parts of the world. This could even result in someone today being brought through into before authorities. Secondly, I was wondering, which I think this is probably the more likely kind of reason Jesus said this, but maybe both. We know what was going to happen to all the, most of the disciples, don't we? We know what they were going to face. And Jesus is assuring them not to fear when they face the authorities, but to rely upon him, the Holy Spirit would give them words. The lesson is, beware of not trusting God. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. God will always provide in the time of our needs. Let's look at 13 through 15. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus is continuing to give us warnings, this time through this man's question. So as Jesus was teaching to these thousands of people that were around, this man jumps up, interrupts him, and requests Jesus to make his brother give him what he considered was his fair share of his inheritance, to give him the money. Can you imagine seeing this? This I mean, it's just a picture. This was completely, you know, what now, what he asked of Jesus wasn't necessarily completely out of context. The religious leaders in that time were commonly asked and even responsible to help settle civil disputes in their community. But right in the middle of this teaching, this guy's like jumping up. That's all he was concerned about, wasn't it? Right in the middle of his teaching, thousands of people, this man just yells out this request. I don't think he was hearing what Jesus was teaching. 
He only had one thing on his mind. I want my money. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9 through 10. But people who long to be rich fall in temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This exhortation is a warning about greed and covetousness. Turn back to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is issuing, again, a warning against his sinful lifestyle. Jesus got a lot more to say. Let's continue on. 16 through 20. And then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So Jesus is using this parable to teach us a valuable lesson. Laying out this man who has been blessed through hard work. He is a, he's gotten great wealth. This man had so much, he didn't even know where to keep it all. More than he ever needed to live comfortably, for sure. Now in his wealth, he sees all that he has. And what do he say? Let's take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, there's such personal application in this story. What do we do? What would we do if we were so blessed to the point that all of our needs were met? Do we keep storing up that excess so that we always have that there and be taken care of and take a break? Or do we take the blessings that God has given us and give them back to God as offerings and trust Him to provide for us in the future? Or do we rely upon ourselves and what we have stored up? David Guzik says, Everyone would think the man in the parable was a great success, but God said he was a fool. Eternity proved the man a fool. And his story showed that it isn't only a sin to give material things too high a place in your life, It's also stupid. Pretty simple English there, huh? So let's look at the last verse of the day. Verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with God. You know, Jesus just gives the application. I'm not sure really what I can add to that. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with God. So again, look at that. It's not that you cannot have wealth. It's not what Jesus is saying. But what you need to have is a rich relationship with God. Turn to Psalm 39. Psalm 39, 6 and 7. We are merely moving shadows and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. So, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. There's so many lessons as we look at the text today. It's really a series of lessons that we've been looking at. Next week, we're just going to continue right through it. It's all connected. It's like part two, three, four. Um, We're going to see Jesus' teaching. But really, what I saw here in today's passages were four different warnings for each of us. I saw, beware, be a hypocrite, hypocrisy. Beware of fearing man over God. Beware of denying Jesus. Beware of covetousness. 
But then as I saw these warnings that he issued, I also saw some encouragement. I saw how Jesus encouraged me. He said, don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And he has also said, the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what needs to be said. He also said, life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus here is, in his teaching is a month away from his crucifixion. I was reading that this week. He's in Jerusalem, and I believe these teachings that he's teaching, they're very important for us to really look at. I mean, think about where was Jesus was at. He said, the very hairs on your head are numbered. So today, let us be very aware. Let us be warned. Let us hear this, beware of these sins that each of us can be tempted to. But also, look at Jesus' promises in these verses. He promises us a rich relationship that God seeks to have with each and every one of us. Please pray with me as the worship team heads up. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you that you've teaching us through your word. And you're showing us, Lord, how you would have us walk as your children. Giving us warnings, things to avoid, to forsake. Things to watch out for, Lord. The temptations of this earth these temptations of these sins. So, Lord, I pray through your Holy Spirit that each one of us, Lord, would see this, Lord, and always, Lord, be aware. Lord, I also thank you for the promises that you've given us, Lord, promises that you seek to have a rich relationship with us, Lord. I think of that, and I also think of the promise you give us there, Lord, that you will provide for us in our times of need. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that each one of us, Lord, would really examine our own walk, And see, Lord, if we're walking according to your instructions that you've given us, Lord. And Lord, also, Lord, if we, Lord, are walking according to your promises, that you're always always there, Lord. So, Lord, I praise you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity to study. And, Lord, please just bless our time and let your word, Lord, just speak to us, Lord, that each one of us, Lord, would walk out of here, Lord, and just wanting to serve you more, Lord, and dig deep into your word, Lord, and learn more about you and apply these things to our daily life and our daily walk each and every day this week. In Jesus' name, amen.